Steve, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So to kick off, before we get started, uh, could you please introduce yourselves to the to the listeners? Sure. So my, my name is Keith Waitman, and I'm currently an RVP of national accounts with a software company called Bullhorn, and we essentially offer candidate and client CRM specifically for staffing and recruiting. All right. Amazing. And um, over at Bullhorn, like, what does redefining outbound mean to you? Yeah, I, I think I think the market in general is in a unique position. And I think there's really three unique factors. I think one and two drive the third one. I think right now, like deal volume is is way down compared to the last two years in our industry, which was booming. Now it's like slowly dwindling. And, and I think the second factor is the rise of generative AI and the use of it in prospecting. And I think because of that, there's a ton of competition. There's a ton of noise in the market. And it's really hard to get the mind share of prospects because of all the, the spam type messages that are out there. So I, I would say redefining outbound to me and, and to Bullhorn is how do we leverage unique, creative ways to consistently get in front of people with a problem-based message versus a product-based message and we can leverage AI to help with efficiency, but not to actually create it. I don't think it's there yet. So for me, it's how do we create compelling messages around a problem versus versus a product? Mm. And do you think you will ever get there? Or is there always going to be this last sort of human factor that you're going to need? Part of me wants to say you, you can never replace a human but it's getting better every single day. And like, if you just think of where technology is versus where it was 10 years ago, it's it's kind of insane. So to say it will never get there, I don't think I could say that, but I do think it's it's further off in the future, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's rapidly evolving for sure. Yeah, I listened to a podcast the other day that was talking about how AI is gonna kill us all within 50 years, so, <laughs> you know. Um, we'll hopefully see. in years, I, I may not be around in that time anyway, so. <laughs> not our not. problem. Yeah. Um, amazing. Um, all right, so obviously being in the sort of recruiting industry must be very interesting, like especially these last like couple of years. Like what is a challenge you or your team is facing right now in that industry? I think there's two big things. One, like I had mentioned earlier, like most sellers, the deals are not there like they had been the previous few years. People are being more conservative about where they're spending their money. And if the problem, like I tell my team, like people aren't buying products right now. People are buying solutions to problems that are blocking executive level priorities. So those are the problems that we need to go find. But those are harder to find. Whereas like the past two years, people were like, our customers were buying everything because the industry was doing really, really well. It was growing at, you know, in 2022, it was like 34%. This year, it's projected to decline 10%. So we've had to, you know, really double down and focus on finding problems that are blocking executive level priorities rather than trying to just pitch a product because that strategy is not working in the current environment. Totally. And speaking of like problems and problem solving, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your problem solving 
framework. Um, I thought that was super interesting. Can you like explain this to the listeners and sort of talk us through how you approach that? Yeah, sure. I mean, the first thing is I didn't create it, so I'm not, you know, I don't have some claim to fame on this. It was more, it, it's a framework that's been around for like, I don't know, like ages. And it's something that reporters use a lot. And for me, it's easy because it's mm-hmm. all the same questions that we learn in grade school. So it's called the 5W1H method. So it's like what, who, when, where, why, and how. And it helps. It's a nice framework to be able to go through and say, okay, hey, what is the problem? Who is it impacted and how? When is the problem occurring and how often is it occurring? Where is it happening? Is it like within a specific department or a process? And then why does the prospect think it's happening? Like what's the root cause? And then how have they tried to fix it before and why didn't it work? Or how do they think they need to solve it? And it's just, again, it's, it's, it's an easy way to go through. And I'm a big fan of one, writing it out, like create a narrative. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm a big visual learner. So I also like to draw pictures to understand how each thing impacts each itself. So for me, it's just an easy way for me and the team to try to get the information that we need to understand if a deal is qualified or, or not. Got it. Yeah. Sometimes like the sim, the simplest things are like the best, right. That would really work and like back to basics. Um, and I think especially now when things are like very hard and it was really brain software, like I think a lot of leaders out there tend to, uh, overcomplicate things, right? So I like that sort of like back to basics, um, really simple framework. I think in times like this, the whole saying that cream rises to the top, it's like we can't control things outside. Our, like we can't control the economy. We can't control the uncertainty. What we can control is our skill set. So like this is a time to like really double down on the fundamentals, on the basics, because that's in our control. So control what you can control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And how have you gone about like implementing this on the team? Yeah, I mean, it's one that it's a framework that I've that I've taught the team as a way to leverage it during their, you know, we have a big belief around, you're always qualifying, right? It's not just a stage in the process, you're always asking questions, because things change very rapidly in a deal cycle. And our average deal cycle is six to nine months. So it's, there's a lot of room for things to change. And we also use a methodology called speed 3d, which is very similar to medic. It's just like, you know, who's sponsor the champion, what's their pain, you know, economic on fire, eliminate uh, competition. So it's a very similar way that we use as we're starting to understand where we are within a deal, but the whole thought process is we want to disqualify more deals than we qualify and we need to be very ruthless with our time and how we ask questions and get to the no fast. Yeah. Sometimes that's like very unintuitive for salespeople. I found. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's funny for me, you know, probably someone like you or I, who's been doing it for a long time. Like you get to a point where you're more pessimistic about deals and optimistic where it was when I was a new rep, like I thought I, I thought we could close anything like, Oh, if we only did X, Y, and Z, and then I'd spend months on a cycle that we would have never won anyways, if I was just confident and brave enough to ask the questions that 
I probably knew the answer to, but I didn't want to hear, you know, I didn't want to hear what they were going to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier, like your visual, your visual learner, um, and that's one of the things that come across on your LinkedIn is a lot of like visual content. I think all the listeners should follow Keith for his uh, visual stuff on LinkedIn. It's really, really cool. Um, do you think like other leaders could be doing more in terms of like supporting uh, how people consume information and how people are learning in different ways? And I think not only reps, but also like customers or prospects, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, so as I've gotten, you know, older, I've gotten more into like, you know, the psychology and brain science around how we actually learn. And, you know, there's a whole, it's called VARC. It, it's, it's visual, auditory, reading and writing, and kinesthetic. So those are like the four ways that we learn. And, and it research says like, you actually need two of those to learn and retain in, information or one paired with an emotional response. So for me, the reason why I really like visual, whether it's for me, when I'm taking notes, I like to draw pictures along with the notes or visual storytelling with customers doing whiteboarding to understand the process. It's because it, it involves three of the four, right? It's visual. You really, it's really also auditory because if you're having a conversation, you need to listen to understand what you're going to take down next. Right. And then it's reading and writing and it's kind of kinesthetic because you're actually doing so for me, I found it not only is different from an engagement standpoint, because not many people do it. I think there was a research study I saw that corporate visions did that like 6% of sellers use whiteboarding and then 4% use any type of digital whiteboarding. And I'm like, it's, that's such a blue ocean strategy, like to differentiate yourself in a market like this. But it also is, it's simple, but it's not easy. So I, that's why I think a lot of people don't do it. But to answer your question, yeah, I think that people learn in different ways, but like in reality, like we're all pretty visual people. We just take it for granted. Mm. Like if I say the word Apple, you don't think A-P-P-L-E, you think of an Apple. Like that's just how our brain works. We're wired that way. Yeah, super interesting. And I think, especially for salespeople, like how do you come across, how do you get someone's attention? And when you're on that call, like just talking isn't going to, get to the the buyer you need to pair that with something visual oftentimes yeah absolutely awesome so shifting gears a little bit uh more and we talked about this a little bit earlier but more towards the go-to-market side of things um obviously tricky times out there um in terms of strategy you constantly need to evolve uh in terms of like what you're what you're doing what are some of the core focuses uh over at bullhorn right now in terms of growth yeah, I, I think it's still very focused on net new logo growth as well as client retention. So I have a team that manages, you know, about 70 million in ARR. And, you know, there's a big focus on how we driving net new or, or white space in those accounts. And again, that has slowed down compared to previous years where we've got multiple products in our portfolio. And we would sell bundles where, okay, hey, the client wants basically everything. So we would bundle it up. Well, because people are more conservative, we would try and go out and sell that now. And people are like, I'm not going to spend that right now. I, I, you know, there's too much uncertainty. So we've had to take that whole model 
and keep completely flip it on its head to say, okay, now we've got to decouple things to get at least something in the door that then we can build upon over time because people aren't biting off the whole thing. So it went from, hey, let's go sell everything and we need to bundle it all together to, okay, now we've actually got to pick it apart. So we've had to pivot in that respect. So more of a land and expand approach. Correct. Awesome. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, so in terms of uh, another thing that I saw on your LinkedIn, um, big LinkedIn stalker, stalker here, um, is you mentioned the engagement rate um, of a deal, uh, which I think is like very interesting. I know I think Gong does this a little bit in terms of like Mitchell's on the deal. Uh, but I think this is another sort of blue ocean where we haven't, um, there's no CRM that really does this well. Um, it's in terms of forecasting, looking at the engagement rate um, of the deal. Um, like, can you expand on this for the listeners uh, a little bit? Like, what do you mean with that? Yeah. Yeah. For me, like you've got reps that, let's just say you've got two reps and they've got two deals and they're both in negotiating. Well, does that really mean they have a 75% chance of winning the deal because in your CRM, that's the weighted value of the pipeline? No. So how do you go and get to the next level of, is this a committed deal that we should be forecasting to our leadership? So other than just working with the rep to go through the speed 3D or medic, I also look at the engagement rate of the deal. And that's simply the number of seller activities compared to the number of buyer activities over a period of time. I usually look over a month period of time. And then on top of that, I'll look at, are the conversations happening with above the line or below the line type personas, right? Is it manager and you know director, or are we talking to VP C-suite? Because higher up means that there's probably more chance that we've got the right people involved at this stage in the deal. And then the other thing I look at is the momentum. Like, are the the meetings sh- shrinking as we get meaning? the time between the meetings, are they shrinking? And is the engagement rate going up or over the last 30 days, has it gone down? Because if it's going down, then that leads me to believe that the momentum has stalled. They're deciding if it's the right project to do right now, or they're doing due diligence with your competitor. So I think it's just another way to, and like you mentioned, like there's not a lot of CRMs that do it great. Sales engagement tools do it really well. So I know Gong does it really well. Salesloft, who we use internally, does it really well. So you can see, okay, here's your deal. Here's where you are in the funnel. Here's your activity. Here's the ratio between seller and buyer activities. And then gives you almost like a predictive score based on all of that. That isn't an absolute, but it helps you dr- dig into those details on where are the gaps and how can we, how can we share them up. Yeah, very cool. And I think it's always like when you forecast, you don't want to look at like one single thing, right? It's always skin the cap multiple ways. Um, and this is a really good sort of, um, not necessarily gut check, but just like additional source to see like, are we increasing speed in terms of communication or is it slowing down? Exactly. Or you, you probably know this, you've got some deals that will sit negotiating for like what seems like forever. And it's because maybe they had a conversation two months ago about, you know, the contract and then it's gone silent 
but your pipeline's inflated because it's like, oh, well, we had this conversation. It's like, yeah, but you haven't talked to them in over 30 days. Like, should we really still consider this a negotiating or we need to push it back to like approving stage? 100%. Um, and in terms of like the inspection, like how are you approaching that more generally? Like, can this framework be used on earlier stage deals? Like how do you inspect earlier stage deals? Yeah, good question. I, I don't, for the engagement rate, I typically look at once you get to the demo and further, because at that point, the customer doesn't really, they don't, you don't have enough trust built with them. They're still vetting other options. I don't expect like the engagement to be very high, meaning like if the seller in a month has 10 activities and the prospect only has five, like that doesn't concern me as much as if we're further down in the pipeline and that ratio is there. But it is it is something that we look at earlier on, but it's not weighted as important as we get further along in the process. Got it. So what are some like main things that you're looking on early in the deal? The big thing is I I, I want to understand what is the, you know, what is the problem that they're trying to solve? Like in is it something that impacts or is blocking executive level priority? Like, do we have the right people involved or are we going to be able to get access to those people and when? Because I think that is what drives the deal. What drives the deal is, is there a problem that's worth solving and worth solving now? How can we validate that that's true? That Do we have the right people involved? And all the all the things that we do in a normal qual like most sellers will do is qualifying around the need the timeline but i'm not a big fan of like on a first call going through bant because i think it's unnatural i think it's more around what is the problem as you continue to go through it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning is like qualifying is not a stage i think many reps think like oh i did a discovery it's like yeah but you know, that was four months ago. Like a lot of things have changed priorities. Like the reason why they were going to buy four months ago could be completely different for the reason that they're going to buy or why they won't buy now. So it's a continuous process of asking those questions and big fan of when you get on a call, even if it was two days from your last, like what's changed since the last time we've, we've talked, we know things are changing all the time. What's changed on your end? Mm -hmm. It's just a good practice to have. Yeah, definitely. I think good reminder for, for everyone out there, especially like right now when things change so quickly, it's so hard to keep up. Um, awesome. All right. We're at the, at the very final question. Um, as we approach the end of the year, like what is something you'd encourage other sales leaders to start, stop and continue doing for the remainder of the Q4? Um, I told my team the other day, there's no Q5, <laughs> which they all loved. Um, so what is sort of your reminder? uh as we're uh approaching the final quarter yeah i i think so start i i believe continue to double down on the fundamentals and the basics and the skills because that's what you have in your control and i'm a big fan of control the controllables like do the things the little things each day and stack them over time and the results will come don't worry about all the noise uh, that start would be double down on the basics and the fundamentals stop focusing on things outside of your control, right? And then I guess continue would be, you know, giving the, I think a lot of reps are in a tough spot right now. There's a lot of pressure to perform. They're stressed to the max. 
and they need support from their leadership on not just drilling, hey, what's your activity? Why aren't you building pipeline? Like the leaders need to coach, create a path on how they can get to where they need to be. So continue to support and coach your reps and rise up the ones that are doing well and the ones that may not be a fit. It may be best to coach them out of the business because it may be a better fit for both sides. Cool. Awesome. Those are some great final words of wisdom from Keith. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Awesome.